All right. Happy to... It's t- happy Tuesday, everyone. I am back with another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continuing to s- explore the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff and getting your questions answered. Today, uh, let's see, we are talking about a very familiar acronym to anybody in our space, the LMS, which some people might go, we're talking about the LMS, but we've got a lot of good reasons why we're talking about the LMS. And I'm joined by Des Anderson and Brendan. Brendan, you don't have your name in the bottom, so I'm going to take a stab at your last name, and then you're probably going to have to correct me. Is it Nuad? Close? Close. Darn it. Darn it. Okay. All right. All right. better, Chris. It sounds better than the original. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds fancier. I like that. It does sound fancier. Yeah, definitely sounds sounds fancier. All right. So they're from Learn Upon, and we're going to be talking about Learn Upon and really kind of talking more about what is the role of the LMS? What is the future of the LMS? How do we see this playing out? So it's going to be a really interesting discussion. I think it's perfectly relevant to what's going on right now because so many people are talking about ecosystems and all these different digital technologies and how do we bring them together. So we're going to go through it all with the time that we have. I'm confident we will run out of time. But before we get to it, it's always fun to get people started and get people going with things. So while we're getting started here, let's let's do this. And everybody who's watching, wherever you are watching from, you can come in and play along as well. But let's do the comment and share where you are in the world. Let's start with, I'm going to go clockwise. So let's start with Des. Where are you today? Sure. I'm in Belgrade, Serbia. So I'm, I'm, I'm originally Irish, but I've, I've been living here about 11 years now. So I'm, I'm almost a quarter of my life in Serbia. So, Okay. I was going to say, so the accent does not sound Serbian. So that now makes sense. Originally Irish, <laughs> you still got, you still carrying a bit of the accent with you. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. How about you, Brendan? Uh, I'm in Kildare in Ireland. So that's about an hour south of Dublin. So, um, okay. All right. yeah. Born, All born right. In- but word and raise, you still you also have the accent, but you're still there, so it makes much yeah. more sense. All right. Well, I'm in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and I'm sure I have an accent. I used to have a very deep Midwestern accent, so I used to say all the funny words like boat and about and things like that, but I don't think I do anymore. So, all right. Anyway, the other icebreaker question, and I'm going to actually reverse the order, and everybody else can play along with this one too has nothing to do with learning technology or the LMS. I'm really excited to hear your answer. So reflect back. We're going to take a trip down memory lane to Saturday mornings. Everybody remembers those Saturday mornings. You wake up, you watch cartoons. So Brendan, starting with you, what was on Saturday mornings, one of the cartoons that you just hated when you missed, if you overslept or whatever? Because we all know the bad cartoons came on later in the morning. You always would oversleep and go, oh, shoot, I missed the good ones. Now I'm left with this like yeah, kind of primetime cartoon television. So what was yours? Well, yeah, mine was Danger Mouse. So I'm not sure <laughs> you are aware of that one, um, but uh, it was good. It was like, a bit like Get Smart, only a cartoon version with a, like a, a mouse detective and his sidekick was Penfold. So that's about as much as I remember. I, when we were kids, myself and my brother and sister, we were sent down to our grannies on a Saturday because our parents were, were, were busy working and, uh, you had to be down in time to see Danger Mouse. Um, so that was it. Uh, Danger Mouse. So what's funny about that is that brings back two memories for me because I actually do remember Danger Mouse, but then also the reference to Get Smart. Get Smart, was a, that wasn't a cartoon, but I remember watching Get Smart and that was, that's the telephone in the shoe, right? Isn't that the one? Yeah, yeah telephone in the shoe. All right. So we haven't gotten there yet in 2021, but we have got telephones everywhere else. Yeah. All right. How about you? How about you, Des? What was your Saturday morning? 
a tough one. Tough. It's probably a throw up. I have to say between either Scooby Doo um, or the Smurf, but like the originals. Like you know, sorry when you see the trailers for movies these days, you're like, oh my god, it's Gargamel or you know whoever. <laughs> but yeah, it's got to be one of the two. Okay. Okay. All right. So Scooby Doo or Smurfs. All right. Interesting. Interesting yeah. perspective. Kind of the adventure ghost story, and then Smurfs. I I just watched the Smurfs like movie with my kids recently nothing like yeah. the original cartoon but again the memories more. bring you back same characters it's just a bit strange i think <laughs> it is it is okay so for me i actually had to think about this one a little bit but the one and i actually could probably sing both of the theme songs if i needed to there were two i really couldn't narrow it down so one was rescue rangers do you remember Rescue Rangers, the two little chipmunks? I loved Rescue Rangers. And then the other one was DuckTales. I oh, loved yeah. DuckTales. I could watch DuckTales. I could probably still watch DuckTales and Rescue Rangers, but I could definitely sing the songs if I needed to. So anyway, all right. Well, we will, we will switch gears out of that because otherwise we'll be talking about that forever. But let's switch over to the learning technology side of things and dig into this a little bit. But before we do, you're both co-founders of Learn Upon. So I always want to understand better your backgrounds. How, one, how do you two know each other? Because to say, hey, you know what? Let's get together and start an LMS. There's got to be some history behind that. And I also would love to also hear why an LMS? Like what made you decide to go into the LMS space? Did you always know that's what you wanted to do when you grew up? So let's, I'll let you decide how you want to start with this. Who wants to go first? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I go I, first. I, I gate crashed your life as a, probably as a, as a way around. Um, but yeah, I, I, I started my career out of college with KPMG doing consultancy stuff for about five years. And I, I was starting to get a little bit bored with that. So looking for something new to do. And um, I was talking to a recruiter in Ireland and I was keen to go work for a smaller kind of smaller company um, in the tech space. And uh, so they put me in touch with uh, WBT Systems. Uh, so one of the okay. first founded in 95. Uh, this would have been about 2004, but they were one of the first LMSs um, in the mid 90s and headquartered out of Ireland, but had, had offices in the States as well. And uh, yeah, so I rocked in there as a project manager one day in 2004 and quickly within a few days realized I was way out of my depth. So I was like, I'm being a, a consultant that kind of, you know, you can talk a good game maybe, uh, but, uh, you know, probably not that techie. I suddenly realized, oh, this is an actual software company and these people are talking a language I don't really know. Um, but thankfully, Des was there a few years before me and uh, kind of, I would say, kind of spotted that I was maybe struggling a little bit and him he and- He saw you were a duck out of water and went, let <laughs> yeah. me help, let me help poor Brendan here. Exactly, <laughs> let, let me let me explain what a web server is to you. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, it was, and um, so yeah, that's it. I, and I, um, with Des can probably give a little more, but I, myself and Des worked there. We became really good mates um, for eight years, him getting me out of trouble. Um, I was on the project management, uh, account manager side, and eventually I moved into sales the last four years. Des was a solution architect, um, very much on the techie side, and yet the two of us struck up a great friendship, got to work on some really cool projects and implementations with large, large organizations like the World Bank and Valero Energy and Navex Global, those kind of companies. So okay. just 
Yeah, it was a brainer. So I guess that's that. That's my side of it. That, that is what. The, how come you didn't run? run? Yeah. yeah. How did? How did? Let's let's hear Des's side of the perspective of what he thought. Yeah, it's not too skewed. It's not in fairness, Brendan. It's not too skewed. But um, yeah, I suppose like similar to Brendan, I would have graduated college God many moons ago, like in two thousand. So. Uh, funnily, at the time, I actually had a job lined up in the Valley uh, in the US. And at the time, it was like dot-com bubble uh, exploded. Um, and unfortunately, the company I was actually meant to go to folded. Uh, so I quickly looked around for a job. And I got a job in WBT Systems, uh, which is in Dublin City, behind the firewall uh, LMS at the time. And you know, I would have been in there as a software engineer, C++, writing DLLs with Oracle servers, this kind of thing. Um, and then found my way into running their support team and then went my way into implementation consultant, which was the best for me. It was working with customers, but also working in code. Um, and I suppose that's where I would have met Brendan and as you say, B, I kind of felt sorry for him. He was kind of floundering a bit with the whole technology. <laughs> so it was like a Desi tech talk, trying to teach Brendan some of the tech buzzwords. And then eventually we became really good buddies um, and, and got to travel a lot. And, as a result, we were talking a lot about implementation, seeing the problems that were out there. Um, and I suppose, yeah, the rest is history. That's kind of where we landed. Okay, got it, got it. All right, well, so that's that's helpful in that space. And so you were, you were in the, the space, but obviously you decided to go off and start a new one, right? Learn Upon is, a, is an LMS. I guess that would be the marketing category we would put it in if we were to do that. So what, what, what problems were you seeing in the space that made you say, you know what? We can we can build a better mousetrap. We can create a better version of this. What was some of the things that jumped out that made you say, "Let's partner up and let's actually fix this"? Yeah, well, I think I think the big thing is that cloud SaaS world was still. This was twenty twelve, so still relatively early. There was some cloud elements out there, but you know, okay. um, a lot were still behind the firewall. And I think that was the first thing that we were keen to look at and. Like a, the. Are you talking on prem? Like at the time, everything was still on prem, so people were yeah, keeping was, all their stuff there, and the cloud yeah. shift hadn't quite happened yet. Yeah, that and kind of a lot of customization, a lot of pre professional services. So, implementation timeframes were long. Like they were a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it was six, twelve months, sometimes longer, and um, just the complexity of the platforms. Like they were very powerful. You could customize them. You could make them sing and dance and do whatever you wanted. So that was one side. But we just felt there was a lot of, particularly because I was on the sales side, there was a lot of companies out there that, you know, that the, the price tag was very high as well. And I think you combine that with a six, 12 month implementation, a lot of complexity around that customization. Then if you needed to upgrade, that was a whole other kind of big project you had to go through. It was like a whole new implementation. I mean, honestly, I'm sure there are people watching who still have maybe there's still a handful of on-prems out there. I know, let's just say I know of a company that just recently moved off on-prem and literally any sort of upgrade or new feature, it was basically like a whole new implementation going through the, it was, it's, I mean, it honestly was an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. And I think experiencing that firsthand and realizing the demand there was huge as well. Like again, you would see the opportunities coming in and then suddenly when people realized what it was going to cost them how long it was going to take it was just it was kind of a i'd say some a lot of frustration there and um so i think myself and des and talking about that for quite a bit just said okay let's like what would it take to be built like a very different type of lms that i think at the start we one of our i guess marketing phrases but was actually true as well was 
could we build an LMS that you could be up and running on in less than an hour? That was our goal. And when we designed the first version of Learn Upon, it's changed a lot over the last eight years. But that was the goal. Like, could we simplify this down that people could uh, brand it, get their content in, publish their content, get their learners in, and have them taking courses in less than an hour? And so we we use those as our guideposts. Um, I think in designing the first version of the platform, and um, it's kind of been key. And we felt it was just a huge opportunity in terms of you know tens of thousands of companies out there that maybe only had a few hundred or a couple of thousand employees that still needed an LMS to deliver training uh, and to their, to their employees, um, but didn't want to go through that big overhead and heavy lift that was the solutions on the market. Um, I think then as we got stuck into it, we did our, we did change a little bit. We kind of spotted an opportunity around, and as you can probably chat a bit more about this, around professional, uh, professional training companies. That's how we saw them, where they, there was a lot of companies out there that were trying to sell and deliver content and they didn't have their own LMS that was set up for that. Oh. And um, what used to happen um, from talking to prospects, I think some of our early beta customers, um, the problem they saw is um, they'd be talking to a company to be going to sell content in a certain area. It could be diversity, it could be health and safety, it could be anything. And either the company didn't have an LMS. I was like, oh, we really like your content, but we've nowhere to deliver it. Or they had an LMS, but it was centrally hosted in a large corporate and to get your content in and through the hoops and onto the platform just was like just wasn't worth the hassle. Um, so we ended up um, saying, okay, is there an opportunity here to design Learn Upon specifically for training companies back at the start? Um, and that's where our portal feature came from, which has turned out okay. to be hugely powerful. I don't know if you want to add more on that, Des. You were the one that architected it. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, it, it literally, as Brendan said, like I think, like when we were initially doing LMSs, like they're extremely powerful. Like a lot of the customers we were working at the time, they're building in competencies, event management skills, that kind of stuff because they had to. Uh, like the technology then it wasn't really SaaS based. You couldn't just sign up for another system and integrate it easily. So you had to build it all in the LMS for yourself. And Brendan just wanted to turn that on its head. So like we had um, some of our customers just literally signing up, creating a portal. Um, anger record was like they signed up on a Friday afternoon. They were selling their first course uh, the next Saturday morning. You know, it was that quick. They can just quickly brand it. But the portals are just built in there from the very start. It's like architected from the ground up that way. So any kind of features we do now go with that type of portal type feature. Um, you know, and you can set up different audits, different portals for your different audiences quite quite simply that way. But yeah, okay. it's probably a big, a big part of where we came from. You know, it's funny that on that topic specifically, I can... It's interesting you mentioned that this comes up and originally came from looking at external providers who had content and said, we have this stuff, but we don't really have a good way to deliver it to people or for people to be able to access it and things like that, which I can completely see generating this idea of, well, you should be able to almost have the technology sitting behind this, but then be able to stand up different, different interfaces that people can go through. But really even on the corporate end, I feel like that's a value that has not been necessarily fully understood for a very long time because there's been this perception of, well, the LMS is like the one thing or the one interface that you go through. But having worked in large, global, complex organizations, it's never that straightforward. It's never that straightforward. And what you often find is this is how companies end up with 27 LMSs is because there's the corporate LMS that houses whatever, but because 
the governance and the corporations and whatever won't allow the regions or the functions to do anything with it, then they go, well, that's fine, but we need this flexibility to create kind of an interface for our regional or functional areas to be able to do this because we have things, we have information we want to share with them, or we want to be able to do this, or we want to have this kind of stuff. And the answer before has been like, well, you can't. There's just this one place that you can, the one interface that you can interact through. So you really decoupled it and said, we'll put the tech behind that, but then also put these other interfaces on the front end. Exactly, and that's effectively how the portal feature evolved from, and it's still a, a significant part of our customer base is, is you know, professional trading companies, and we've some that have literally hundreds of portals, probably one, our largest one probably has over a thousand, where um, for each of their clients, they put branded interface, which they can literally do in minutes, and they, they license in, uh, their content down, and it can be managed at, at, a, at a portal level. Where we started to see the real opportunity then was kind of at a corporate level, that kind of idea of multi-audience training, and that's how we we trained it. And to use each of those portals for employee training, or a different one for customer training, partner training. And we could see as well as as companies, as different departments and use cases, they tend to have their own budget. So that idea of why they end up with 27 different LMSs is... They go they out and buy be, it. Yeah, yeah. You, you might be told, no, you can't do that. And then you're like, well, actually, I've got a budget and I have a credit card. It's my money. Open. You can't really tell me what I'm going to do. Yeah. And um, we've we've tried to kind of work with with our customers around that, where sometimes we'll start with one use case. But we'll always look at like, what are you doing over here and here and here? And wouldn't it be great to work with the one platform, but be able to uh, configure it for each use case so that in one area you might be into gamification or forums or whatever. In another area, it's actually, you know, it's much more streamlined. It's actually, you know, it's compliance training. We just want it out there. We want no distractions. We want to be able to confirm we've done it. We want to report on it. And, and the list goes on. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's a space we're really interested in, and we think it's you know it's okay. it's really powerful. Well, and, and from a use case standpoint, I can see it getting its roots from the the either customer ed or like you said, training companies. But really, functionally, I mean, having been in this space for a little while, um, this is a real challenge. And there has I've I've always experienced a healthy tension between the corporate side and the functional side because there is this. On the corporate side, there's an understanding that, well, we need compliance and governance and structure, and we can't just let everybody do their own thing. But on the functional side, it's a, well, but we have unique needs. I think where the differentiation is, is a lot of those unique needs that come out on the functional side, it's like, well, that's not really how the, it doesn't affect how the content is managed or, or structured or where we put it or how we tag. It's not that kind of stuff. It's more the end user stuff. And I think that's where that tension has existed for a long time. And I know um, it's, it's something that I've always been trying to push when I'm looking for things to say, well, how can I have some level of customization with that? You use the word customization versus configuration, or you use configuration. So I actually want to delineate that because earlier we were talking about back in the day of LMSs, where part of the nightmare was everybody was customizing them. So let's actually demystify that whole piece. When you say configuration versus customization, how do you differentiate between those two? 
I think for us, it's probably more so that like within LearnUpon, if you need a certain feature, it's there. You just need to turn it on. I think typically LMSs will just throw all this stuff at you. Um, you know, it makes it quite clunky and a little bit difficult to navigate at times. You know, I know like different, go back to that corporate part, like different departments have different uh, pieces of functionality that they need. Uh, but trying to get some form of commonality there, like especially if they're trying to get their data eggs into a centralized system, if they have 27 LMSs, they've got 27 different types of data and so forth, you know, which just all that can be customized as well. Some tables literally at the database layer have, you know, customized columns on it, all this kind of good stuff. So for our point of view, we just wanted to take that layer away. It's just, you know, ultimately we're saying you need an LMS, you need these certain features, keep it simple, keep it easy to use. And um, if you need, if you don't use emails and you use usernames, here's a configuration that you can turn it on. Um, and that'll, that'll set it up that way rather than layering in emails, usernames, all these different attributes onto the UI. So it, it, it's pretty much that. So like we find different different customers might use SAML SSO, some use different types of SSO, some use Zoom, some use MS Teams. And so we just allow you to turn on what you need. So you, you keep a very simple LMS in front of you. You don't have lots of bells and whistles. Okay. Which can look cool, and but I, not for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I actually want to go into that a little bit more, but I have a follow-up question to that because I I have been in heated debates in the past about people having a desire to want customization. And to me, my response is usually, you think you want customization, but believe me, you do not because you will pay for it down the road. Like it sounds great to do this custom, you know, let's custom build this and let's do all this stuff unique just to us until, like we talked about earlier, until you need to upgrade it or a new version rolls out or something changes and you go, oh, great. Now we've got to rebuild the whole thing. So I think that's where that goes. But so my question is in, in that configuration standpoint, what kind of flexibility is there then per group? Are you able to then configure it for different use cases, even within the same system so that this group or this group or this group can have different configurations without having to say, nope, sorry, this is the global governance or this is the global configuration for everybody. So everybody's experience is identical. Yeah, so that's what we try to do at, at each um, uh, interface level or each portal level. Pretty much everything is configurable um, right down to like the, the feature set that you want to use. Obviously things like the branding, uh, if like we let you add custom fields like custom user data, custom course data, that's all done at a at a portal level, so it can differ okay. across. Those. Um, right, and and we've done some interesting things again as you start to do this at scale over the years. Um, we've we've allowed you to as you create those portals, you can copy things down, so you don't have to go. If there's okay. always some set things like we we always use a Zoom integration, we always do whatever that you don't have to keep okay. doing that every time. So we, we allow you, and you can even create new environments through our API and choose to copy from the parent, the defaults down, and then go change from there. So it's it, it's pretty powerful. Like there is areas where we just, we don't go super granular, like where we are getting to sort of like, okay, you're really look, looking for a custom workflow here. And we would explain to our customers, that's that's that trade-off. It's not us, we, we don't go that far. Okay. Um, we we're always adding to it, and I think that the product team are looking to kind of take that feedback and go, okay, how can we template this as much as possible so that people can kind of go, yeah, the core functionality is here, but we just want it to look a bit like this, so we want it to work yeah. in this way. So 
kind of trying to set those, uh, building those workflows into it. And that's where we would typically involve our customer success team at the, uh, and our onboarding team at the start of an implementation to go through and basically take a customer through and go, okay, here, here's the list of options, sort of, you know, what are you trying to do? And here's how we would map it to learn upon. And here's how we'll configure these different parameters. Um, okay. And the great thing is it's relatively easy to change them as you go along. So that idea, you haven't customized the underlying code. So if something changes, like a business process changes all the time, you can flip it back usually um, pretty straightforward. And that's something we try to, to bear in mind as well. Okay. Well, and I think going, the reason I asked that follow-up question is to your point with this, and, and again, this goes back to this healthy tension that often comes up is the fact that a lot of times it's configured once and everyone is then forced to that configuration. And the challenge with that is, I mean, I have been in drag down knuckle fights where you end up in wars because one function needs this capability and they want to, you know, we use Teams, we don't use Zoom. And some people might go, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. In the same organization, you might have some that are using this tool versus this tool. And they go, well, no, we, we use this platform for this kind of stuff. And you will end up in a straight up war trying to figure out, well, what is that one configuration we can do that will meet the needs of everyone? And then you're left going, well, now we didn't really meet the needs of anyone because we had to sanitize it back to a point where it didn't really do anything. Not to mention the fact, I'm just even thinking, and you probably deal with this on, on the European side of things a lot. There's a lot of data challenges that I know just being on the US side that when I've tried to roll things through different parts of the world, sometimes you go, well, we can do this for this country or for this region. We cannot do this for this region or this capability. So is that also part of the play in there in yeah, terms of it, allowing that configuration? It, yeah, it is. And like, there's some interesting things that again have come up as we've grown as a business and expanded into new markets. Those kind of data challenges, things around email preferences and things like that, what you have to follow. Like I know um, in Canada, there's some very strict legislation there around what you can push to people. And so we've been able to build those configurations and settings into learn upon. But again, it can be done at an environment level. So um, it, it allows, um, you know, kind of one setup for the US, one for Europe, one for, for Canada or whatever it might be. So. It's um, it's good. And there's always new things though that keep coming up <laughs> as it is with these things. Well, it's a constantly changing landscape. But I think yeah. that goes back to one of the challenges that you, that I know I've had to battle in the past is the fact that you go well, and this again goes to that. Well, then people go off and buy their own platform. Is what often happens is because you'll say, well, I need to be able to. For my, I'm not bound by this restriction or this regulation that this other group is, and now you're telling me I can't do this because Bill from this region said they can't in their group, and now I can't use it. Well, I'm just going to go find a different platform then, and I'm going to run off and do it like that. And so it sounds like this is allowing you to build. Some, and I, I know I'm really hitting on this configuration piece, but I think it's an important piece because it is something that actually is a, well, yeah, somebody just mentioned here, they did an LMS implementation in three countries and Germany had its own, <laughs> France and Germany have their own challenges when you try and do anything what, you know, that not everybody else can play by the same rules or they have their own set of rules that they have to play by. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's, wait, go ahead. Uh, sorry, Christopher. Yeah, I was gonna say Germany's a really interesting market. They, they, 
because <laughs> there and there's there's a set of kind of business rules that have to be followed there that I, I know even from a learn upon perspective we're not a great fit for because we can we can see there's just a level of what managers can see what reports can be run it's 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 next level stuff so it's um yeah i can i can see that uh well and even even i just think of things like gamification you know you'll hear people say well we want to have gamification well if you're working in a global company with people all over it's not that easy to just say, yeah, let's just roll out a new leaderboard. Yeah, well, probably not because depending on country, who can see the leaderboard and who has access to the data and does the data sit in this country? And I mean, it gets, yeah, I don't want to go down that path. That'll just be a dark path that we won't come back from. Okay, so let's- well, That's let's... Brendan, he describes that as interesting. I describe it as just a technical nightmare. I was going to say, that was a very <laughs> diplomatic <laughs> term to use, Brent. It's an- interesting area to work <laughs> okay so let's talk about the lms a little bit more because i think this is one of the things that over the years i i personally have seen the lms take some hits for things that i don't necessarily think the lms should be taking hits for i think for a long time it's been seen as i'm just laughing because somebody said germany equals nightmare and gray hair well for me fortunately i don't have any hair so it doesn't go gray but um you know, I, I think one of the things, like I was saying, the LMS takes a bad rap. I think sometimes it's misunderstood. And it's, for a long time, it was seen as the cornerstone of learning technology. Everybody, you're trying to get the LMS to do everything for everyone all the time. And then it's, it's almost impossible to deliver on that. So as you stepped into the LMS space, and you can talk about this more, you weren't going, and with Learn Upon, your goal wasn't to try and be the everything to everyone, right? So let's talk about that shifting. Or I personally, I think it's a right sizing of the LMS role. So let's talk about that role, but then also how that's actually been something where, as you stepped in the LMS space, you're actually taking a different approach. Sure, can go for it. I think for us, yeah, there's a few pieces now. I think there's probably a few bugbears for myself and Brennan. So even like going from, say, like RFP process, typically we'll find RFPs are full of copy-pasted, templated questions, stuff you don't even need. You know, I, I kind of draw analogies to buy. If you're buying a car and it doesn't have a cigarette lighter, don't spend the extra money just because you think you might need the cigarette lighter, right? So you buy the car that you need, um, and that's just kind of how we see it for the LMS. So get the features that you're really going to use and what you're going to need and don't try and bend it into something that's just ultimately going to be a nightmare to manage for you. Um, I think okay. for us, we've been ultimately, you know, someone goes through RFP process, an admin is then handed this lovely new shiny LMS. They probably didn't really analyze properly. They don't understand the features. It's not solving the problems for them. Um, and likewise, the learner gets forgotten in the whole thing. Um, so I think that's where myself and Brendan are just trying to draw it all back to keep it simple, uh, go really deep into the LMS rather than trying to go wide and bring in competencies and skill sets and, you know, all that kind of good stuff that can make stuff complicated for you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What were you going to say something, Brendan? I was going to say, I always, Des mentioned one of my bugbears, which you see when an RFP comes in and it has this spreadsheet attached with the 360 requirements and, you know, uh, businesses will go through and literally mark against that and score you how many of these you take and the one that takes the most is the one we pick even though today's the point like how many of those 360 do you actually use or need or do you even know what 
they're for, what they're about. So, yeah, we've always been like we wanted to say, like I think there's two approaches as you start to build a business. Like we've taken learn upon from just the two of us to through to where we are today. There's always kind of opportunities come up and people, customers, prospects will ask you. You move build wide and go into performance management, talent management, skills, these areas and. We've over the years just taken the decision, actually, we think there's loads to do just going deep in the LMS space. And we've been, we're eight, eight, nearly nine years going deep at this stage, and we still have more to do, you know. So um, we would rather be the best at the LMS, the learning management side of things, better than anyone else, and then integrate with other best in class um, solutions, be it in performance management or or, or talent or what other areas that you absolutely, like a lot of business would need. Um, we just, like there's probably better people at those areas than us. Okay. So I well, I want to talk about that piece a little bit more because let's talk about one of these capabilities. But before we do, um, I think that's an important point to bring up in terms of this focusing on the capability piece. And I think this has actually caused a lot of confusion in the industry recently is the fact that the emergence of the LXP and now the EXP has now created a very confusing, murky space for people who are in the practitioner seats who may be making decisions around the technology because the lines have gotten very blurred. And honestly, if I look when I look at an RFP now, a lot of times they aren't even differentiated by technology. So you'll look at this thing and go, four, you know, 487 lines and we're asking, do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? And you go, why, why would you ever want an LMS to do that? Or why would you expect an LMS to do that? But to your point, the risk is if you don't know those core capabilities where you say, what is it that we actually need the LMS to do for our organization? What are the key capabilities we want it to do and be best in class in those things? If it happens to do other things, I mean, fine. But honestly, I've implemented LMSs before and actually turned off features because we made the intentional decision to say, we don't need it to do that because this isn't the tool that we want people to be using for that. And I'll, we'll go into like, what are some of those capabilities that you're going deep in? But I think that's an important thing because you sometimes you have to say no to good ideas. Like, well, the LMS can do this, maybe, but is that really where we want to be creating that experience or really where we want to be creating that capability? Because quite frankly, I don't think the answer is always yes, just because it can. Yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting space. And I think particularly the, LX, the emergence of the LXB in the last, you know, I, I guess, you know, eight, nine years has has definitely been interesting. And like it's, you know, is it a different category? Is it just a component of the wider learning experience that fits in there? Our, our view is, and I think it's kind of known we we took a decision not to start again, not to build out that functionality. We agreed were one of the kind of kind of leaders in that space, one of the first yeah. companies to focus on that. Well, because I have to imagine there has been tremendous pressure on you. I told you I was going to like jump in on this because what you're talking about, I have to imagine being in the LMS category, there has got to be a ridiculous amount of pressure to say, well, now you need to have skills taxonomies and you need to have like all this and you're going, no, but I have to imagine that pressure on learn upon to continue pushing and just again, bolting on some other little capability 
into it to say, well, now we have to compete with other people that are kind of the all-in-one Swiss Army knives type of thing. I mean, that that has to be a constant battle for you. Yeah, it definitely comes up. And like, again, our view has been like we we kind of quickly realized and in fairness, like degree kind of got in touch with us a good few years ago and we started to chat about this. And I think to some degree they had years like they had a lot of their customers going, why don't you guys build an LMS? And uh, they, like they, I know, I know the people at degree and that was always one of the challenges they had was they were in an LXP and people were going, well, can you do all the LMS stuff? And their answer was no. And we don't, we don't plan on having that capability. And I know they had a lot of pressure to say, well, okay, do we end up just building an LMS just to, to build it into it? So I thought it was interesting when you partnered up with Degreed on that. And it sounds like vision wise, it's a similar type vision. Yeah, definitely. And like we've, I think from the start, we've had a great relationship with the team at Degreed as in they, they knew what they were focusing on and they want to be best in class in the LXP space and, from our perspective, or like from my perspective, looking at, you know, from a, a board level and from where we want to take learn upon, we're like, that's great. If we integrate really tightly, tighter than anyone else uh, with Degreed, uh, we can solve that problem for our customers and, and vice versa for Degreed uh, when their customers are looking for an LMS that doesn't have all that bloat and complexity and uh, that comes with some of the, the, the other solutions on the market that they have meet our friends and learn upon and um these guys do stuff really well all our platforms work very well together they i remember when i saw the first uh kind of demo of degree straight through to learn upon it actually took me about 20 seconds to realize we're in learn upon now it was that seamless <laughs> it's um okay. over the last four years it's it's improved tremendously like it's much tighter uh between the two systems now but, but back at the start it was like, okay, I can see how this can work. And um, I think the other things we learned there as well is that it's one thing having the technology working well together, the two platforms, but the, the teams need to work well together as well. So Degreed CX team and Learn Upon CX team have, again, uh, learned each other's platforms kind of and the strengths and where, like, okay, that's your area in this area and then bringing the two together because there is some overlap there and we, we wouldn't deny that. Like, there is a kind of a gray okay. where... Where does the LXP start? start and where yeah, where does it start? And where? But to your point, if with that partnership, and I can see where this partnership then makes sense, is that because your two teams work closely together, then you know, hey, while we both technically could, there's a little bit of overlap, it's best based on what you're trying to achieve to do this with this tool versus this tool so that you're not duplicating efforts and you truly are saying, we know how these two players play together and this capability is better played in here just based on what you're trying to do. Exactly. And and the truth there is, sorry, I was going to say, it took us time to figure that out as well. Yeah. You know, at the start, because because of that, like you could do it and learn upon some things or you could do it and agreed. And, but I think, you know, after four years, I think at this stage, working really close together with joint customers, uh, we now have really good, I guess, playbooks on both sides of we've actually seen this and we know this is the most powerful solution to, do, to kind of combine the two together. Um, sorry, Des, for cutting over you there. Yeah, what were you going to say? No, you're fine, you're fine. No, I think it was pretty much just what you were saying, B. Like, I think it just ties into our overall vision as it stood. Like, we didn't want to start building LXP stuff into LearnUpon, vice versa. We just needed to keep 
a good line in the sand and know what each system does. And I think we'll continue to do that. You know, we won't continue to start bolting in other features into Learn Upon either. Um, you know, in, in the integration piece for us is embedding Learn Upon into the middle of everything else. Um, you know, and, and pretty much out of the box integration with, with different systems. I mean. Okay. Well, and I guess, so I'm, this is more a question for you, Des, uh, to kind of unpack this a little bit, because I will say, I think there's tremendous value in thinking about it this way. And sometimes you will see um, where if you're trying to be everything, it's really hard to do anything very well. And I, and I have to imagine that's part of the technical piece is if you're sitting spinning up your engineering resources, your technical resources to add new features and functionalities constantly and continue building those things out, that's resources that then aren't dedicated to going deep. And I mean, honestly, from an industry standpoint, you'll hear a lot of people talk about some of this frustration with some of the, we won't mention names, but some of the big players out there who have decided to be all things, everything to an organization. And as a result, people struggle with the actual, once they get into the weeds, it sounds good on a PowerPoint, but then once you actually get into implementation and execution, you start running into, well, this doesn't really do this very well at all. That's it. That's it. I think like for us, we're bigger on the playing the long game. Of course, like we were bootstrapping learn upon and we were doing initial. Yeah, it was so bad, didn't they? Beginning that probably had to be a little hard. <laughs> and you're going to be looking outside the box to try and see, well, what can we bring in here? And it might be the likes of Zapier uh, that we've got integrations with just to fulfill a quick need. Um, but I would fast forward to now where we're, let's say we're literally just have our, our beta out now for MS Teams. Um, it's, we've gone deep. We've spent a number of months working on that and getting it singing and dancing rather than the easy option of perhaps using Zapier or some other type of tool. Um, so that's kind of like where I would see it. I, I want the kind of technical teams focusing on owning it um, and just sort of being able to stand over it, both from a scalability and, and understanding it deeply as regards what you can and can't do. Because um, that, that just won't serve as well in the future. That doesn't scale either. Okay. So yep. there's actually two directions I want to go in. I'm going to go one direction first because of what you just brought up, which is this integrations piece. Um, I do not think that this can be undervalued when, when people are evaluating technology, looking at their integrations capability, especially where things are going on the, on the, <laughs> with the future of tech and, and all the different platforms we're probably going to need to be bring together. This integration piece is an important one. And there's, it's one thing to say, yeah, we have an open API and we can integrate. It's another thing to have, you know, Brendan, even the example you gave of integrating with, with Degreed in the beginning and where that is now to the point where now it's this seamless, oh, I didn't even realize I switched systems. Like that's a great integration. A not so great integration is, yeah, of I won't again mention names, but I remember one time where I turned on an out of the box integration between two platforms and it was a mess. I mean, it was they talked to each other, but it wasn't the kind of language that I wanted them to be saying. And it ended up just making an absolute data nightmare because the data just blindly pushed across and made an absolute mess. So let's talk a little bit about the integration side of things in terms of because that's an area of focus for you. So let's just kind of unpack what some of that integration type of stuff looks for. If somebody's looking and saying, hey, we need an LMS, but we need it to play nicely with some of these other platforms, what can people expect or what types of things should they be watching out for? 
good question. I think the first bit would be if, you know, I'd say if they're coming in and they want to say, well, we want to integrate with X, um, it's like what level of customization? Are the people automatically going into the world of customization and building scripts and third party stuff? You know, we want to try and get to the point where it's like click, click inside the app and it, and it hooks up everything. But to your point there, we don't want it to look messy, you know, like we want it to look clever. Um, and that's kind of how we would see it. It's just simple, easy to use. I think that's especially useful if you don't have um, a development team inside your own house, like to do this stuff for you. Um, so certainly looking for click-clack uh, type integrations would definitely be the way to go. Um, but I, like I kind of see it though as two, that's like it would be deep integration within the app, uh, but the other part would be getting data out. Um, and I think that's a journey now that, that we're going on in LearnUpon. Um, so just it's combining the learning data with your business data um, and getting decisions based on that then and metrics and things, that, that's hugely important. So I think that's definitely a big part of the conversation. How easy can you get the data out? Okay. Well, and I think that's a fair point that a lot of times is not taken into consideration. It's one thing to say, okay, we need to get, especially when we're talking about the LMS, a lot of times the conversations are, well, we have this LMS content. We have these experiences or this content, we need to have it go into something else. But the point you bring up is another one, which is that's great, but how is that data coming out so that we compare it? I mean, the big thing that you talk a lot about performance when it comes to things, and we're not just talking about performance of the system, we're talking about being able to actually connect the dots between, hey, we're doing this stuff, is this actually having an impact? And then that means that you actually have to connect those data points. So how are customers doing that today? Are they are they doing this natively and learn upon? Are they pulling this out into a BI tool? What is a common approach you're seeing with people being able to pull that together? Yeah, it's a typically BI tool. Like we'd, we'd be, they'd either be using our API or webhooks or a combination of both. That's typically how to do it. Like we would have some scheduled reports where it's more sort of chunkier data, maybe where they're processing larger CSV files. But we typically find it's real time. It's more webhook based. Uh, where they're pulling in enrollment history and then combining that together like in a data lake of, of some form and then transposing that into some other system then just to compare and contrast. So yeah, definitely real time um, would, okay. would be the way to go. But th there's a big need there, I think, like for more robust um, sort of reporting API endpoints, which is a big part of where we're now um, getting stuck into. So that's probably the next version 2.0 of where we are right now. Okay. I got it. Well, and I, and the reason I ask, and this is going to lead me to my next question, just to kind of talk about some of this stuff, but just as an example, a lot of times I've seen a big push for trying to get really robust and detailed, you know, reporting and dashboards in an LMS, which I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but to the combination of what you're talking about here, sometimes to me, I feel like that's incomplete. It's like, well, that's only one part of the story. So you can put a heavy emphasis on, you know, can we have pretty cool looking things and get all this information? But it's like, well, but you, you may be asking the wrong question because the right question may be, how do we get the really critical data that's in this platform into something else so that we can augment it with other data points and see it in a better context than, you know, well, okay, how many people completed this stuff? I mean, that's fine, but that doesn't necessarily tell us the story of what did it actually do. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting area. Like what we've been kind of focused on, it's that business impact of learning. Um, right. And like within the LMS, you'll always have your your, your reports, your your course completion reports, your overdue report, etc. But they're they're 
they're, they're relatively limited in what they tell you, whether that, okay, these many people did this course, these many people passed, failed, etc. What's really interesting, I think, is when you combine that with your data from Salesforce, for example, and you can actually see the impact of training on your sales team, you know, how does that impact, you know, your number of reps that are hitting quota, you know, or for example, based on the training that they got, or you combine it with your data from your support system like Zendesk. Um, and again, seeing the impact there or true to your success platform to see the impact on your NPS. That's where I think things get interesting from for the business yeah. that certainly you can actually start to see the real impact of the learning programs that you're rolling out. You can feed that back, you can tweak them, you can uh, change the focus of, of the, the content that you're delivering, the learning that you're delivering based off those um, real results. That's the impact that it's having on the business. So we've been really focused on that. We think that's like going forward, people will move away from the kind of standard, okay, just give me the raw data. To, and I think that's where people, we should be pushing ourselves because again, I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the, how can we have the really most, the most robust, visually appealing dashboards in the LMS. And to me, I would say, I think we need to push ourselves to think beyond that because I've been in spaces where we've been able to actually pull that data out, combine it with other things. And we could actually see, we rolled this out and because of the connection with our business intelligence data, we were able to see that we actually had an had a connection to this or what we there was a compliance issue. And so we had this and we did this. And now we see that that compliance issue has moved. And yeah, people could argue, you know, well, correlation. But when you start doing it regularly and you can start to see, hey, we do this, it actually makes something move. And otherwise it doesn't and it actually can inform your strategy so i think that's it's a good example of something where you would say you might be focused on the wrong thing which leads me to the next piece where you said you've really decided to go deep in the lms capabilities versus trying to go really broad so i would be remiss if i didn't say when you say we want to go deep in lms capabilities what is your definition or what are some of the big pillars of that going deep that you would say here's where we're really trying to go deep as an lms i think there's a number of areas there like a big one for me is the kind of the business rules that a company has in terms of the training that they need or the learning they need to roll out so who who needs to do what or at least have it available whether it's optionally it could be optional it could be mandatory but um particularly as you know, larger, more complex organizations where you have lots of, uh, whether it's departments, geography, experience, you know, all of these different factors. Um, we think the LMS is an important role to play there. What we, we recently rolled out, kind of, we had a, a, we always had an enrollment engine. We kind of okay. accelerated that recently with what we call dynamic rules, but I think it's the next level of that giving companies that flexibility to set up those business rules within the LMS and then we take it from here kind of thing. We, we've got this. Okay. And so that's making sure that people have access to the right training when they need it and then being able to manage that completion stage of actually taking it, you know, who's done it, when they did it. Um, there, there's obviously different kind of areas, of, tangents off that, but the, for me, I see that as okay. the, the real strength in the core bit. I, I don't know if you would add anything to that, Des, or think about it differently? Yeah, no, spot on. Yeah. Copy paste. <laughs> <laughs> Copy paste. Well, no, because what's funny about it is 
sometimes you will see this take a big hit. And again, like I said, I think sometimes the LMS takes a punch and I go, it's part of the story. If you're trying to think this is the whole story, that's part of the problem. But to your point of the complexity behind making sure people have been deployed what they need and did they complete it, if that's where you stop, that is definitely a problem. If that is where your learning strategy stops is to say, we just want to make sure we get things out there and that they get done. Kate, that, that's a problem. And I think you're missing the mark on what you could accomplish as a learning organization. But that capability cannot be undervalued in terms of you have to be able to do that and you have to be able to do it well. You can't go, well, that's not where it stops or that's where it, you can't stop there. So I don't care about it. If anything, I would say, no, you should get to a point where that's so seamless that it's not a concern for you so that you can focus on some of these other things. And I think that's that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it, like, you know, uh, companies can sometimes underestimate the being able to do that, the reliability and consistency of that and the confidence it gives you is like, you know, okay, that's in the bag, you know, learn upon has our back on that. And then, <laughs> right. It's really important because you don't want to be in a thing where you go, well, it didn't work. And they go, how do you know, did it, did people do it? And you're like, ah, oh, well, I don't know because the data is not really there and I'm not really sure if it got to the right people and whether they got through it. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we see that as like a core focus, like, and it's right back to if we go full, full, uh, full circle and where we started the conversation you know we we talked about what we wanted to learn about to do at the very start you know the very first version it was like just probably kind of four key four key functions you know get our learners in there get our courses in there publish the courses to the learners and track that they did it you know and so yeah. we've obviously the platform was built out and it's it's much more an enterprise grade platform today but when you strip it back the core or elements is what we do really, really well. And we allow you to do that for multiple audiences through a single platform. Okay. And we think that's hugely powerful. Okay. Well, no, sorry, Chris, I was just going to add that just the, the kind of worms for me in the room as well is the stuff like Squarm, Tin Can, and when that stuff breaks, you're in a world of pain. And, and I think that's a, an amazing thing that our team are specialized in. So it's that idea of going deep, they'll pull apart your score and tell you where the problem is. They're not sending you around the houses back to the content developer. Then comes back to the LMS. Like you typically see on forums, my LMS says that this doesn't work because, um, and then it's just this kind of love triangle between the, the vendor, the LMS and the customer trying to figure out like what's going on. Um, so it's just that kind of stuff, just deep understanding, I think is a big part of it. Too. It's it's very operational in nature. And I think that's where sometimes, because Brendan, even your example of the core things, which is get people in there, make it easy for them to do it, get your content published, get it out to people and make sure they've completed it. That's very operational in nature, which doesn't necessarily capture a ton of attention. People don't go, ah, that's that's game changing. But at the core, if you can't do that well, you can't really do much of anything else. And I think that's one of the pieces where when you're talking about the core, that's like saying, I don't wanna focus on the supply chain of my distribution. Well, you can have the best product in the world, but if you can't get it to anybody and reliably know that it's there and that your data is accurate and you know where things are at, then it really is all for naught because what good is it? And I think to your point, the second point, Des, that you brought up, that's another thing that I think is people are considering things 
this goes back to where I said we need to, it's, it's something I'm doing an 18 month anniversary episode next week. And one of the things I'm gonna be talking about is the fact we need to move away from category to capability because what you're talking about right now is capabilities. Do you have beyond a shadow of a doubt the capability to do this reliably so that that's never an issue where you go, I'm not sure if that's accurate or I'm not sure if we're doing that very well. And if you can't do that, that's a big problem. That's a big problem. And your entire operation can come down in a heartbeat if you're not careful. We, we talk about uh, in, within the business, within the team, about you kind of earned the right to do the cool stuff by doing the basics really well. But when I say really well, better than anyone else. And that's, we take back like to our teams, like a lot of what we work on, obviously adding new feature things, but we put just as much effort into the scalability of the platform, the reliability, the fact that it never goes down. And we, we think that's vitally important because as I say, to do the really interesting things with your L&D programs and um, if you don't have the, the, the core there, then you're, you're going to be dealing with a very frustrated um, user base, learner base, um, because they can't log into the LMS or the course that they spent 15 minutes uh, completing suddenly says it's not started or whatever it is. All of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think that's where sometimes we do get stakeholders that roll their eyes when we come with these cool, fancy ideas and they go, your house isn't even in order right now. And you're talking about some of these other things. And I think that's where there's opportunity for operational and process excellence to say, let's make sure we've got the core down to an art and, and a science to the point where it is execution perfect then we can start layering on some of these other things. So the last question that I'll throw this, it's a little bit of a live one um, and we should be able to get through it relatively quickly, I think. But Todd brought up the question about migration data. So a lot of people are looking at, okay, we may have an LMS. Very few people I've, I run into now say we, we have nothing and we're just starting. There are some, but for those who may be migrating, then the getting it up and running in a day is probably not realistic. So what does that look like then for somebody who may be in a position where they're using something today, it's, it's not delivering on those foundational basics, that operational excellence is not happening, they want to make the move. What does that look like in terms of data and migration to help people make that seamless? I think like maybe I can take a bit of that at least from the sure. technical side, you know, like we've got literally at the script level, you know, to help uh, people do that and migrate into into learn upon. I think it's a, it's a testament to that where we're trying to make things right. You know, like we've got data coming across where learners have, you know, started the course before they were enrolled, like there's dates all over the place, this kind of stuff. We're just trying to make that right. And um, so we'll, we'll work through that and get the data in. Um, I, you might have some figures be like, I'm trying to think of a bigger migration. I think it was maybe around about a 2 million enrollment history record. Migration was about wow. a week. Um, and we'll work okay, through that wow. with teams. And I think that's important, like, you know, as well, like the teams, so when you're migrating, you're probably used to how stuff works in a certain way. Uh, we have a team there with literally years of experience just to try and say, well, this, yeah, that, that's good. This will map to learn upon. Or have you not thought about it this way? This is probably a better way. Okay. Um, so it's that idea of trying to not just migrate, but just try and evolve and go through an evolution into some new system. Don't expect it to be exactly the same because um, it can't be. Um, and, that, and that's just how we approach it. We try and make sure that, that we're fit. Likewise, there is certain markets we're just not a fit for. And we're quite happy to say that as well. We're not in the business of 
wedging in just for the sake of it. Um, that, okay. That's just not going to work for anybody. Well, and I think we'll we'll wrap on this note because I think it's a really it's a really good one. That is, there is this healthy balance if you're migrating from one platform to another to not just bring over what you've done before and just try and copy and paste it. Because I would say in any experience I've ever been in, there's a lot of mess. There's a lot of mess that it's an opportunity to clean that up and clean that out and reevaluate these processes or the way we did it before. That's how we did it 10 years ago, based on the way the org was set up. Then we're not structured that way. So I think there is this the ability to kind of take a consultative approach to look at it and say, what should we bring over? What should we not? But it sounds like that is an integral part of the process for anybody who may be on something now and is moving over. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good su a summary, Christopher. I think it's definitely something our, our team Swat always ask, you know, are you bringing this data over just for the sake of it? Because you, know, you have it in your old system. And you'd often hear as well, like people would maybe complain about their previous system that there's a lot of junk data that they don't need there that gets in the way. And then sort of, we would say, okay, well, you're starting with learn upon now. Let's bring what you need over and leave, yeah. leave that behind. So, yeah, I think it's a good, good summary. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll end on a high note because Beth Scott gave you a shout out and said that it's a great LMS <laughs> with outstanding support. So it's not just you saying it on Learning Tech Talks. We've got you've got some super fans in in the show. Um, echoing the support that you've provided. So thank you both for joining. I know it is not you know, morning time for you like it is for me here. So I appreciate you making the time on Tuesday. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Hopefully this has not only given you a better idea of learn upon, but also maybe helped you think a little bit differently about how you're thinking about the LMS and how you're thinking about building your ecosystem and all of these different technology capabilities. So thank you both and have a Thanks, wonderful Chris. rest of your Tuesday.